0: The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up in England and Ireland to parents who were nurses. From an early age, she was pushed to pursue education. And this push seemed natural for her as she was driven and competitive. She eventually made her way to medical school. She wanted to be a doctor and chose breast imagery as her specialty. In 2018, she became the first board chair of the American College of Radiology. Today, she continues to walk a path to greatness as she pursues more board positions and steps forward as a leader in the development of others in the medical space. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Geraldine McGinty. Hi, Geraldine. Thank you for joining me today. Good morning, Annette. Thank you for having me. And we have limited time together, so I'm going to have us jump right on in, okay? That sounds great. So you were part of a private group of physicians for 12 years, or 11 years, excuse me, and looking back, realize that you stayed maybe a little too long in this position. So what do other women leaders need to know about staying too long in something that maybe they perhaps have outgrown?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And and certainly that group afforded me the ability to grow my journey in professional volunteering and advocacy. So, you know, I I certainly don't want to negate the experience, but, um, you know, I think there's a sense of getting comfortable um, that I probably... Should have uh, should have noticed a little earlier, and it is
0: easy for us. Even those of us that are driven, they get bored easily. Change can still be very uncomfortable, can it?
1: Absolutely, even change that's welcome is uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly is. So I'm going to stay with
0: this just a little bit longer. So, what would you say to the women listening about how they might know when they are overstaying their welcome, so to speak? of where they should be.
1: One of the things I've been doing a little bit more intentionally recently is, as well as sort of a personal strategic plan, is developing a personal scenario plan. So, you know, scenario planning, as I know you know, is where we we don't try to predict the future, but we say, what are the things that might happen in the future? What are the things that I should be doing now so that I am best positioned whatever happens? So I think that the combination of those two and sort of looking at where I am in my career and saying, okay, what's, what's working well? Where do I feel like I'm not growing as much as I should? And doing and really intentionally doing that, you know, maybe every quarter or every six months is, is a good for me technique now to think, okay, have I gone too deeply into one thing? Am I losing my focus on the things that I had said were really important to me?
0: Now, I think that's a brilliant advice and it brings it to the forefront of awareness.
1: Absolutely. Otherwise,
0: it just kind of gets blurred into the noise of the day to day routine, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. And there's so much day to day. And, you know, when you're someone who is interested and excited by as many different things as I am, it's easy to end up with a lot of projects, but maybe losing the plot on the things that you said you really wanted to accomplish.
0: Yeah, and we get overwhelmed when we get our fingers in so many pots, don't we? (laughs) We certainly do. (laughs) I've certainly experienced that myself. So as the first board member of American Radiology, you could be considered a trailblazer. So how did you deal with the high expectations that came with being such a trailblazer?
1: So, yes, I was elected as the first woman to be chair of the American College of Radiology's board. I always say that I'm not the first woman who could have done it or should have done it. There were incredible women who preceded me in various leadership roles, just not that one. Um, now, that said, I, you know, I did get a lot of questions about, you know, what are you going to do and, you know, what's your legacy going to be? And honestly, what I did was I just went straight to the strategic plan that the organization had developed. And i had been part of developing that. There was a, you know, Jim Collins talks about this big, hairy, audacious goal. I always pointed to that and I said, that's my goal. The closer I get the organization to that, the better that's that's how you should measure my performance so that it wasn't so much about me, but it was more about what we've set as goals for the organization. That's what I'm going to be working on. And when you positioned yourself that way,
0: it was easier for people to buy in on your journey, wasn't it?
1: I hope so. Um, I think you know, what I needed them to see was this was not a personal leadership agenda for me. This was an agenda for the benefit and the growth of the organization. So
0: it leads me to the next question, because thinking bigger was something that you had to work at. And what did you have to change about yourself and put in place to make thinking bigger something that you could do repeatedly?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a work in progress, you know. I think that um, you know, as women, we're not necessarily socialized to be ambitious, you know. And I see this so often with my mentees. You know, I'll I'll have a lot of mentees in academic radiology, and I'll say, "Well, would you? Do you want to be a department chair?" And almost all of them will go, "Mm, "I don't know if I feel comfortable saying that." So I've I feel like I need to model that. You know, we saw Stacey Abrams this week say, "Yes." I'd like to be president. And it's important for me to say that because then the little boys and girls coming after me will say, okay, she says it, she's she's articulating her ambition. So I think I've, I've realized that in the context of my mentees, I can't say one thing to them and model something different.
0: Yeah. And boy, if you do, they pick up on it real quick and can certainly call you on it, or at least it sends mixed messages, doesn't it?
1: You know, I think that, one of the things that one is sort of a core value for me is authenticity. And, you know, I don't, by that, you know, I think sometimes people confuse authenticity with, you know, I'm going to show up to work with my sweatpants with my hair not brushed. For me, authenticity is, okay, these are the things I value. These are the things that I think are important. And I'm going to articulate those and express them in my leadership.
0: And in that authenticity space, you've led me to the next question. And that is that you're tall, you're white and you have an English accent. So certainly with this persona comes a host of society expectations. But you have learned to lead with authenticity. So in more concrete terms, what does an authentic leader look like for you? And, and
1: really, how did you get there? You know, we we have very limited role models of sort of phenotypes of leadership, don't we? You know, leadership has tended to be white and male. So I realize that, you know, to some extent, I'm, I'm breaking that mold. But, you know, I am still very close to that traditional leadership journey. Um, I'm in a very traditional profession in medicine. And I think that, you know, expanding our phenotype of leadership, expanding what leadership means and expanding who we acknowledge as leaders is critically important if we're going to meet our goals around diversity in in opinion, in background, in experience. So um, I think that that I, I feel like I've used the relatively easy path to leadership, frankly, for me to then say, you know what, not everyone looks like us and we will benefit by having people who are different along many axes.
0: And in that space, how did you find your authentic self? Because I think a lot of women struggle with that because of all the mixed messages they see in society.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think that as I've gotten older, I've reflected on times in my career when I felt like I was really, you know, on a roll, doing well. And if I look back at those things, those times, it's generally been when I've been absolutely myself. When I haven't, you know, when I haven't felt like I need to um, curtail what I, what I do. And again, you know, I, I, I'm a professional woman. I know how to, to conduct myself in a boardroom or in a meeting, but where I have been clear about what my values are and what I'm going to articulate as my, my values and my goals. So you've brought up a very good point, Geraldine, and
0: that is the authenticity piece has to be and must be connected to the values that you hold. Because in that space, you can show up easier as your authentic self. And you're right. It's not about wearing your hair in a ponytail because that's the way you (laughs) like to do it. (laughs) It's a whole uh, energy you give off, isn't it?
1: I, I think so. I mean, I, I, you, you said mentees can see right through you. You know, I think it's these days, it's very clear when people, you know, are perhaps paying lip service to an initiative that, you know, they know they, they need to embrace, but they're not really on board with it. Um, frankly, I would rather someone say, you know, I'm not sure about this. I have questions. Can we talk? Then, then for somebody to say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. When all, all along there, you know, they're not, they're not on board with it. So it sometimes hurts you when you hear nasty remarks
0: directed at you, but your husband told you something that was very wise. And he said that such negativity means you are making change and that such comments represent the discomfort of others that they're feeling. So tell me about how do you take on the feeling of making others uncomfortable, especially with respect to leading
1: change? Right, and again, this is something I think we're socialized pretty powerfully as women not to do, not to make people uncomfortable, not to 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 upset the apple cart. Um, but again, I think it's it's for me, it was a combination, and in the particular example that you shared, was an example a, 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 an intersection between what I know I value and what our organization has said it's going to value. So, so, you know, you may be uncomfortable with it, but we've already articulated this as a goal. So let's, let's dig into that. Um, you know, this comment was anonymous. I would have been more than happy to have a conversation with this person and say, let's talk about why you're uncomfortable about this. Or let's talk about, you know, where you see us as perhaps not meeting our goals in this regard. So um But yeah, I think, uh, who was it that said, well-behaved women never make change?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're likely right. Well, and and I want to dig into this a little bit deeper because I think this is a really juicy one because I myself experienced that when I make other people feel uncomfortable because of change that I'm making, that it makes me so uncomfortable. And so I have to be okay with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's easier. Sometimes that's not so easy. What have you found yourself and what should we be telling those listening about this?
1: Well, you know, I think it's it's an individual thing and it's sort of your ability your tolerance for risk has to be set against, you know, where you are in your career, where you are in your organization. Because I would never tell someone to to take risks that, that you know, are going to have really negative um, consequences for them. I think that that's, that's arrogant, quite frankly, for someone like me to say, yeah, you go, you stand up at that meeting and you say that. No, I think that's where, you know, having... Sponsors, allies, mentors can help you. Um, you know, we've seen a, an initiative recently from some of our trainees. There's a, a question going around right now about the amount of family leave that our trainees can take um, during their during their residency period. And I have been so impressed at these young men and women who have been. You know, it's a very controversial topic they've been building allies they've been having offline conversations so their point is getting across but you know they are they are not standing out there alone they are and the the way that they're taking their message forward is is again couched in here are the goals we've set for ourselves as a profession and this doesn't seem you know what you're trying to propose doesn't seem to match that so I think that you know I've I, I would learn from them make sure that you have your mentors and your sponsors lined up advising you and have other people help you with your message um and I think that's that can you know be a, a shield around you
0: Yeah, I I agree with that, uh, because without that, sometimes the deans can be can take their toll on you for sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. We only got so much energy, don't we? We do. So (laughs) we as women all need confidence and your group of your confidence are very small. So with what advice would you give to other women leaders about confidence and how they choose these people?
1: Yeah, there's research, isn't there, that shows that, I mean, everyone needs a professional network, robust professional network, but that women need a different network or need two networks. So they need that tight squad of people that they can talk to about the salary offer they just got or um, that they can really relax and be themselves with. You know, there's no doubt that, you know, professional women, we you know, as authentic as we want to be, there's still a sense of, of you know, behaving in a certain way in the workplace that, you know, is perhaps a little different than you'd behave with your closest friends. So, that, that that's an, that's an, a necessary safety valve, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah. And how do you choose these people?
1: Well, um, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, I've got, friends that I've known since we were teenagers, starting medical school together. And then, you know, if you're lucky, as you go through life, you meet people along the way that you, you know, you instantly click with. Um, The challenge, I think, as we get older and more embedded in our professional lives is to really make the time to cement those new friendships. So uh, trying to be better about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to let that slip, but we do need those. We certainly
0: do. Yeah, you're exactly right. So you are part of a power couple in which you have always out-earned your husband. So how have you
1: managed the relationship so that you earning more hasn't caused problems? It might not seem believable, but it's absolutely never been an issue because we grew up together Uh, we started dating when i was uh 19 and he was 18 (laughs) so we've you know we've we've certainly grown up and and gone through the stage where we didn't have two pennies to rub together um and it was always clear to us that we both wanted to pursue fulfilling careers and it just happened that the one i chose was compensated at a different rate than what he does He's a um, combination physician-scientist. He uh, sees patients with genetic conditions in the Bronx, poorest urban county in America. And the rest of his time, he does research. And what I would tell you is that I think probably what he does is going to have a greater impact on society than anything I do. So, you know, I feel like, you know, together, I I hope we're making a difference, but it has honestly never been an issue. So in that power couple There is a level of mutual respect that must exist, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I think we talked about this. Sheryl Sandberg says the most important choice that a professional woman makes is her choice of life partner. And he is somebody who I really respect as an intellect. Um, What I've realized over the past year, since we've spent more time together than we ever have, is that I still have a a lot to say to him. We sit down at at the end of every day we chat about our day. Um, I like him a lot and um, we have a lot of fun together. So you
0: said something real interesting there. You actually like him. And I know that sounds like no big deal, but it is a big deal because lots of times couples get into relationships,
1: especially power
0: couples, where they do love each other. But they really don't like each other.
1: We we are very different people. And one of the things I I think I realized a little bit more clearly over this past year as we were really working together a lot at home was... He's, you know, I'm an extrovert. He is a very functional introvert. I mean, he's, you know, if you met him at a party, you'd think he's he's you know very entertaining and great. But he's he's much happier at home and, and certainly that fits with the way he works, you know, big projects that take a long time and you know and require a lot of patience. So um we are quite different. And um, you know, he's a scientist in the kitchen and I'm not the tidiest in the kitchen. So you know, there are definitely those kinds of things, but you know, I as I say, there's there is nobody else I'd rather sit down at the end of the day with and go, you know, we we work through things together. He's He is my most trusted advisor and I'd like to think I'm the same for him. So I'm going to stay in this relationship space just a little bit longer. And
0: the reason being that at this recording, I have interviewed over 130 women over the last four months. And I would say 80% or maybe even a higher percentage are are divorced or have never been married, and they seem to struggle with finding that partner and creating a relationship that is sustainable.
1: Is there any advice you would give these women? Wow, I, I'm not sure I would be so bold, but you know, I've I've learned over the years to be kinder to him and kinder to myself and kinder to us. Um, You know, the beginning was tough. You know, we um, you you get married and you got married the day after we finished medical school. And then, you know, basically we didn't really see each other for four years. Um, You know, we would occasionally wave at each other across the corridor in the hospital. So, um, you know, it it definitely it wasn't the easiest start. So, um, but yeah, I think being kind and cutting each other some slack.
0: And needing each other, but maybe perhaps not making each other your entire world.
1: Oh gosh, no. I mean, I, I I think uh for both of us, um our professional networks and careers and and our are I think we're both fortunate to have close friends. Um, we have a lot of friends together, but we also have friends in our professional networks that that are, you know, an important part of, of our lives. So yeah. So I'm
0: gonna stay with this personal front for a second because I want to talk about motherhood a little bit, because motherhood is something that you never chose. So my question to you, why was this? And do you ever feel guilty about making this choice?
1: You know, it's one of those things that there were times when I thought I might, and then there were times when it looked like it just wasn't going to happen. And we had, I think, had some foundational conversations about what we would be prepared to do to make that happen. Um, and that was, the, so we did decided not to go down that path. Um, we both love kids. We have nieces and nephews that have, thankfully, been a, a big part of our lives. So um, and are now mostly amazing young adults. So uh, no, um, it's it's not something that that exercises me.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes uh, maybe women move into that motherhood space not because they so desperately want children to fulfill them, but the society expects them to have children.
1: Well, there are a lot of negative memes I think about women who don't have children being selfish and career obsessed, and um, you know I am fortunate to work with an incredible group of women, the vast majority of whom are moms, and you know I see how hard they work, I see how focused they are. They are they are warriors, and I you know I'm, I'm in all of them. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I see some as well, and I'm, oh, and I'm thinking I could, I don't know if I'd ever pulled that off as well as I see some of them doing it. So I have one last question. I want to talk about self-doubt for a second, because during your journey, there were times when you struggled to find a job. I mean, you went into a, a, an area of radiology where jobs were not necessarily plentiful, and it had to ding yourself confidence a little bit. How did you work yourself through that self-doubt? I mean, I experienced it myself at times. What, what would we say to these other women about how to not let that drag them down into the gutter, so
1: to speak? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, would, I would say that my approach to it was more sort of suppression than than reflection. It was sort of, you know, I'm going to network like crazy. I'm going to exercise like a fiend, um, you know, so I didn't really I tried not to give it much space. Because I, you know, it was it was clear to me, as you know, and I, I'm to be realistic, of course, it, 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 you know, it's there, but I felt like the less space it had to to spend time ping ponging around my brain, the better. So I, you know, just worked really hard to, you know, push it away. How do you control that
0: from occupying too much space in your mind? Is it through distraction? Is it through focus on a purpose? What do you find?
1: You know, I think for me, it has. You know, there are definitely sort of tactical things. You know, exercise, and believe me, I'm no I'm no marathon runner, but we know exercise is a phenomenal mood enhancer. You know, there are some other things. You know, not having that glass of wine every night is also important. Um, but then there are, you know, I think there are important tools and techniques, not, none of which I've been as good as I should have. You know, meditation is great. Um, you know, and then really sort of um focusing as you say on what are the things that that are important, you know, really sort of coming down to and one of my coach said this to me once like, you're not gonna starve, you know, <laughs> you you have a degree. And
0: your coach did a great job of reminding you to reframe it and get different perspective.
1: That's another important thing because there's a, there's an absolute shame narrative around these kinds of zigzags in your career. And that, you know, I'm often asked now to talk about my career and it's easy to sort of portray this, this seamless, you know, journey that, you know, is full of well thought out decisions and, you, and nobody's life is like that. Uh, but there is sort of a shame narrative when things haven't gone well. So I think sort of, you know, reframing it, it there's always something to learn and, um, you know you get to tell your story, so
0: Dr. Jordan, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women
1: well I, I I think it's really important to acknowledge the people along the way that have seen something in me and you know given me um opportunities well beyond what my obvious qualifications were um Uh, They have been many and and I've been very fortunate. I I will say a lot of them have been men. I'm in a profession that's largely men. So uh, a lot of them have been men. Um, So, yeah, I would just acknowledge those kinds of sponsors along the way because I, I wouldn't be where I am without them. And acknowledging
0: those does give you hope that you'll continue to excel, doesn't it?
1: Well, I hope so. Um, and, uh, and it's also powerful modeling for me in terms of, you know, my goals around mentorship and sponsorship. That's, you know, an increasingly big part of what I do. It's incredibly satisfying. Totally. Thank you so
0: much, Dr. Geraldine, for taking time. I know you're a very busy woman and I'm so glad that we could arrange this time together. And particularly, thank you for being so transparent and open with the wisdom that you've gained along the way.
1: Well, um, I hope it's helpful. I really appreciate the conversation. That was fun. And Dr. Geraldine is another great example
0: of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on The World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds. (music)